I want to start today with three little vignettes. Um, the first one is about Dan. Not his name. Uh, but a couple years ago, Dan and his wife came in to see me. It was pretty obvious pretty quickly that Dan did not want to be there. He was obviously drugged. That's why she was there. Uh, but he eventually opened up and shared that uh, he had a good job. They had lived very cautiously and conservatively. They'd, he'd saved a lot of money, but uh, he couldn't sleep because he was very anxious about whether or not he could provide for his family. And so because he couldn't sleep, he was tired, he was irritable, he was getting on the kids, and things were not working out. When he did sleep, he was grinding his teeth. And, you know, he had some sense of a God of love and grace, but uh, that was not helping him fall asleep at night. And then there was Debbie. Uh, Debbie uh, came in, also not her real name. Debbie, uh, Debbie was pretty much scared of everything. Uh, she was scared of, of uh, car accidents and cancer and identity theft and plane rides. And uh, She was quite amazed at how casually and cavalierly everybody else seemed to live their life, oblivious to all the danger that was out there. And Debbie uh, was self-medicating with uh, alcohol, which she was uh, eventually willing to admit was way too much and was not working. But uh, she also uh, couldn't get life to work. And then I had this episode back in the mid-'80s. Never had thought twice about elevators before. Got on an elevator one day, pressed the button, and as soon as the door closed, I just panicked. Uh, I was alone in the elevator, so uh, I eventually just started pressing buttons for all the floors. And when the doors opened, I got out and uh, sort of caught my breath and calmed down and said, well, I'm not, I'm walking. I, I, you know, so I climbed the stairs. And a couple days later, I came back to that same spot, and I said, yeah, I'm walking again. And then uh, about a week later, I was at a different building, different elevator, and I said, okay, this is crazy. Uh, I gotta, I gotta get over this, right? I can't, I can't climb buildings for the rest of, rest of my life. So, ironically, my brothers—I have uh, brothers who are twins, younger than I am—and they both are engineers, and they work for an elevator company. <laughs> so I called them and I said, "Okay, so what are the odds that I could, you know, what are the odds that this thing could could fall?" And they said, "The odds in the United States that you could get in an elevator that's going to fall." Less than zero. They said, we load these things with lead. We disconnect the cables. And, and we have to get out a micrometer to find out how far they fell before the emergency brakes kick in. They go, you are fine in an elevator. And I said, well, I just want to point out, because they said, your fears are irrational. I said, I just want to point out I didn't have any fears until you guys started designing and building elevators. <laughs> I said, that, it's clear to me that anybody can get this job, so obviously that's what's behind this. So how are we to think about fear? The passage today out of Luke chapter 12, fear is the, is the big topic. And uh, it is a big topic in life. There's a lot of fear in this room. There are a lot of different kinds of fears. There's a lot of people here today that are medicated. Ironically, we're safer than we've ever been. <laughs> but there's a lot of people who are very anxious. How are we 
uh, to think about fear. Some say that fear is the opposite of faith. And so people of faith should be fearless. And they would point to passages like Mark chapter 5 where Jesus says, Don't fear. Uh, don't fear. Just believe. Or uh, uh, would point out that Christ's most frequent greeting to his friends, more than 20 times, was fear not. Right? Where you say hi or hello or how are you doing. His line was fear not. So we've got that whole, we should be fearless. But at the same time, right, the, one of the opening themes in the book of Proverbs is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this is, this is repeated throughout that book. And in the book of Psalms, we get the similar kind of idea, right? Uh, the friends of the Lord are those who fear him. Uh, and so we get an understanding that maybe this is not quite as simple as we might have thought. Um, we're going to think about fear this morning. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Luke chapter 12. We are taking the slow train through the Gospel of Luke, as you figured out. We'll be here several years. Some of you got uh, college degrees and less time that it will take for us to get through this book. Some of you didn't get through your freshman year in college in three years. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not too worried about this. Uh, and our pace. We're beginning with verse 1 in chapter 12. We read, um, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. So remember, we are, um, we're entering this conversation that has been going on. Uh, and Jesus has got lots of people there. He came to do several things. One of them was to launch this revolution of love and grace and care and peace uh, and, and, and fighting against injustice. And so to that end, he had sent out the 12. Uh, he had commissioned them to preach and proclaim, and they had gone out, and then later on he'd sent out 70 folks. And uh, obviously, they had agitated people, and between Christ's reputation and these early sort of advanced teams that had gone out, the crowds really uh, begin to get large. At some point, uh, a crowd is no longer a crowd, it's a mob. And when you read that uh, they are trampling on each other, then it starts to sound like things are perhaps getting a little bit out of control. Uh, when there are too many people, Jesus has a real quick uh, crowd uh, problem solution. He simply starts talking about the cost of following him, and the crowds get a lot smaller. Um, but that's not what's going on right here. The crowds are getting big, and uh, this is part of what's behind the, the anger, the fear, the jealousy, the agitation on the part of the religious leaders that Jesus sort of uh, was duking it out with uh, in our text last week. So here we read, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so they were trampling on each other, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So last week he goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with the, the religious leaders. He makes it clear that he's down on religion. Remember, man reaching up to God. He's very clear that doesn't work. And he's particularly down on the religious leaders who he thought of as bullies. And so he comes out swinging at them. When, when Jesus faces a bully, 
and they're picking on him, he generally doesn't do anything. But when he sees bullies picking on other people, he gets involved. And he had got involved. He says, all these rules that you've made up are oppressing other people. It's got to stop. Uh, and he made them regret that they had invited him to this dinner party because he really tore into them. Well, now, sort of in an offline conversation with the Pharisees, he says, look, um, <laughs> excuse me, with an offline conversation with the disciples, he says about the Pharisees, look, they're hypocrites, <laughs> right? They're frauds. They're two-faced. It's all spin and hype. They're not as good as they pretend they are. And he uses the the idea of yeast, which causes bread to rise, which causes bread to be light and fluffy and full of air holes, right? And he's just, that's, he's, they're all hot air. They're, they're just puffed up, but they're not who they claim to be. So um, he's after them. Verse 2, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. This is a very, uh, this is a passage that ought to cause us to uh, pay attention. He's, he's obviously saying this to say to the disciples, don't be two-faced like the Pharisees. Right? Don't act like you're better than you are. Now, uh, I, I've heard a number of people my age who have said, I'm so glad that I went to college before there was Facebook or Snapchat or any of these things, because otherwise I'd, oh, I'd, yeah, I could never get a job. Or other people complain, Google's got all our, all our emails, or the NSA is listening to all our phone calls, and this is, uh, this is unconscionable. Well, I just want to, you know, newsflash, <laughs> don't, you don't have to worry about Google or the NSA, or Facebook postings. Uh, first of all, our sin has a way of manifesting itself down the line. It, these things tend to come out, as tragically Denny Hastert is you know, discovering this week. But even more significantly than that, um, God knows everything. Right? He knows every conversation, every email. Uh, he knows everything that we've done. Now, this passage is both a source of warning, it's also a source of encouragement. Right? The things that you've done that nobody's seen, right? the acts of charity and kindness that have gone unrecognized, the, the good that you have done that seems to be unappreciated, nobody's paid any attention to your, to your quiet, selfless acts of service. God sees all of that. <laughs> right? And so, so that's what... That's what, uh, that's what he is saying here. We need to... Uh, we need to be aware that everything we think, do, and say matters. And God pays attention. Now, um, we get a uh, more scary news here. Verse, um, it's a chilling line, verse 4. I tell you, friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Uh, I first memorized this passage in the, in the Matthew account, Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear him who is able to destroy the body, but unable to destroy your soul. Instead, fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. This is so contrary to the spirit of the age, uh, this idea that we would have any... Uh, 
reason to fear God. Now, I remember a conversation years ago with somebody, and I was mentioning this idea, and uh, the, the person sort of immediately fired back. Well, that's, that's not the God that I worship. And I was a little surprised to hear that comment from that person. Um, but as I reflected on it, I thought, well, it's not necessarily what I want to think about either. But we don't really get a choice of right, what we're editing here. We can't edit the text. God is who God is. And we look at God to be revealed so we have a better understanding of who he is. And then um, what I've noticed over the last 10 or 15 years is that a lot of people will say, well, yes, God is to be feared, but we have to understand that what that word means is it means that God is to be respected. There's to be a reverence for God. And clearly there's to be a reverence for God. And also I would say that there is a sense in which the word awe, which sometimes people will use, is, uh, is appropriate. There's things that are massive or powerful or there's, there are things that can just be so big and grand that they are both terrifying and beautiful at the same time. And we can't really... We can't really walk closer to it, but we can't walk away from it either because we're just so amazed by that. I think that is part of what what we're to pick up here. But we need to be clear. There are words for respect and reverence in Greek and Hebrew. Those are not the words that are being used here. The word that's being used here is the word fear. And and fear in that sense, uh, it actually does mean fear. We're being told that we should cultivate a healthy fear of God. And what Jesus says specifically is, look, don't, don't, don't fear these other things. Don't fear somebody that can kill you, but that's it. Right? Fear the one who has ultimate say over your eternal destiny. Now, just a couple of quick asides here. This is the only time uh, in the Gospel of Luke that the word hell appears. Um, it doesn't show up that often in any of the Gospels. But um, every time it does show up, it's always from the lips of Jesus. So all the horrifying statements, right? Bottomless pit, lake of fire, utter darkness, gnashing of teeth, all those things. It's all Jesus. It's not Paul. It's not Old Testament. It's not James and John. It's, not, it's Jesus, the one who... The one who dies so nobody has to go to hell is the one who talks about hell. And and as a matter of fact, you can make a case that he speaks more about God's wrath than he speaks about God's love. Again, very contrary to the ethos of the age, which is very uh, affirming. Now, let's just be sure we don't miss the main point here. For, For throughout most of history, one of the principal purposes of the Christian faith was to prepare people to die and meet God. Right? That's, that's part of, that was part of what was supposed to be happening, is that we were preparing to meet God. And, and that, that Christianity and our understanding of faith and God and his power and his holiness, all these things would, would would help us to think about what matters as opposed to things that don't matter, right? That we'd be more focused on things that are eternal and less, less consumed with things that are temporal and fleeting. Um, we are way too casual 
about eternity and God, and we are way too wrapped up in things that don't matter. From time to time, I'll end, in, end up in a conversation with somebody who says, well, I don't, I don't think uh, I can go back to church since the divorce, since uh, I got fired, since my child ended up in the blot, or since whatever, you know, because uh, people will talk about me. I say, well, eh, I suppose some people will talk about you. I'm sorry. They're small people. If they're talking about that, they're small people. Don't, do you want to really let those people determine what you do and how you interact with God? Think about that for a second. I go, but, but here's the bigger point. Um, nobody's talking about you. Nobody's actually thinking about you, right? That's reality. Everybody's got their own stuff. Nobody shows up looking at other people. Everybody sort of shows up with their own brokenness. And I said, so you're worried about things that don't matter. You're worried about the opinions of people you don't even know their name. Stop and think about that, right? We've got to rightly order our priorities, our, our fears, the things that we're going to be consumed with. And that's part of what Jesus is saying here, right? Don't care about those who can pick at you, but who don't have ultimate say about anything. Instead, fear him who has ultimate concern and ultimate say over what happens uh, in your life. Reading on, we finally get a fun verse here. Um, Verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. So are not five sparrows sold for four pennies? They're they're free. They're cheap. They're nothing. They're just little birds. Who cares about them? It was the smallest bird that could be sacrificed. You know, it was was a non-starter. So what is being said here is God cares even about them that don't matter, these little birds. He certainly cares about everything that is happening to you. And then a key verse here, verse 8. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So, look, this is fairly straightforward. We need, you and I need, a Savior, a Rescuer, an Advocate, somebody who is going to uh, pay our moral debt. And that's, that is Jesus, the Son of Man. That's the big title that Jesus uses to refer to himself. Big, huge, bold claim. The Son of Man is the one who will reign in eternity, who, who will be the ultimate judge over everything. Every knee will bow to the Son of Man. That's the term Jesus uses to refer to himself. So the Son of Man is the one that, that we need to get right with. There have been other great teachers, other, other uh, advocates for the poor, other moral reformers, other great men and women. There have been lots of good people who have been out there trying to do good things. But Jesus is unique in that he's not just that. He is also God. And his death is unique because uh, it's not like anyone else's death. Even the death of a martyr, even a hero's death, Christ's death is for you, for me. He perfectly fulfills the law. Consequently, he's able to to die for somebody else's sins, your sins and mine. And so what we're being told here 
right? After this scary thing about fear God, right? Because you're going to stand before God to offer an account of your life and everything is going to be sort of laid bare in front of God. Every word, every Google search, every email, every, everything is out there. Then Jesus is saying, look, if you will stand up for me, then I'll stand up for you. Right? So anybody who stands with me, stands with the Son of Man, then uh, if you will publicly acknowledge me, then I will stand alongside of you. And so we're just being told. Right? Cast your lots. Plant your flag. Declare your allegiance. Right? Figure out who you're going to follow and then follow. Now, as an aside here, let me say this. One of the ways that you can do this uh, is by being baptized. Baptism is more than just a, a public declaration. I believe it's a sacred activity, but it is, it is certainly that. It is a public identification with Christ. We identify with Christ in his death going under the water. We identify with Christ in his resurrection coming out of the water. It is a public affirmation of our allegiance to Christ. So uh, if you've not been baptized then this is one of the things that you can do and, in fact, should do. There's no New Testament category for a Christ follower who's not been baptized. And we've got a baptism coming up uh, later this summer, and you can sign up today for that. Okay, reading on. We've got a, a sort of a, a confusing passage here, verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So a um, lot of discussion, a lot of writing, a lot of debate over the, the unforgivable sin. And uh, at one point, uh, I read way more than I uh, probably needed to or should have about this. And so there's lots of, there's a lot of these outlier theories out there, understandings of this passage. Some say you violate this sin if you, if you deny Christ in a time of public persecution. Some say you deny this, 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 uh, you commit this sin uh, if you, if you misinterpret a passage. Others say if you ascribe to the Holy Spirit, or if you, excuse me, if you ascribe to Satan the works of the Holy Spirit. Um, there are some that say you, you violate this, this principle, you commit this unforgivable sin if you, uh, if, if you doubt. Others say if you deny, um, if you deny God. Uh, others say if you, if you cry out against God in anger. Well, look, I mean, the book of Psalms is filled with people crying out against God in anger. And Peter denied Christ. And uh, <laughs> you know, Thomas famously doubted. No, no, no. The, the passage, I, I think the, the consensus historical understanding of this passage is that uh, we commit this sin if we consistently neglect the witness of the Holy Spirit to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so as long as you're alive, right, there's still an opportunity and hope for you to reverse that decision. And if you worry that you've committed this sin, then you almost certainly have not because the Holy Spirit is still working on your heart. So uh, I, I, this, this passage gets some people really sideways, and, and it shouldn't do that. Um, and then finally, verse 11, 
When you're brought before the synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Okay, so stepping back for a second, this whole big idea of fear. I, I, I realized this week as I was preparing this that this is a big, important topic because there's a lot of fear out there, and we give a lot of power to our fears, and, uh, and, and we don't necessarily need to. And uh, I think courage is one of the qualities that is really missing today in, uh, in our culture and in a lot of lives. So there are three points I want to I wanna leave you with. There's a bunch of things I want to say that, that didn't work their way into the sermon. I'd like you to understand that, that uh, lots of people, even brave people, are scared. Right? That um, people are not considered brave because they don't feel fear. They're sort of considered brave because in the face of their own fears, they continue to do the right thing. Uh, I, I'd like you to understand that Roosevelt's line uh, famous statement, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, is not right. Uh, he's trying to rally a country out of the Depression, so I'm not faulting him. But there are things to fear, right? It's that we've got to rightly order what those things are. Um, I, I've, I've been struck that, um, that we have a lot of misplaced fears. We fear things we shouldn't fear, and we don't fear fit things that, that we should. There's a bizarre article I read about uh, a study done in South Korea that, that lists the fears of South Koreans and this movie monster is like top of the list. And the North Koreans are way down the list. And I'm thinking, wow, you might want to rethink that. Uh, but as I was feeling smug, I thought, yeah, but we've got all this fear and anxiety over what people are going to think about us or what people might say about us. When, as I've said, people are not generally thinking about us. Uh, Tim Keller writes, I think this is a, a good point to realize that fear, uh, what we fear might say something very important about our idols because uh, it, it may, that we can figure out what we truly love based on what we might fear that we would lose. And what does that uh, tell us? I think that, uh, I think fear uh, could, could be understood as a trust issue or as an understanding of God's character issue. I think it also could be uh, understood as an isolation issue, that we fear a lot of things when we're alone. But in fact, if we, if we were living a little bit more in community, then uh, a lot of those fears would go away. There's a lot out there. I want to leave you with, as I said, with three points. Number one, it's important that we rightly order our fears. Right? Just, as, just as it's important that we rightly order our loves, we need to rightly order our fears. And the fear of the Lord is to be the first fear. And when we fear God in that healthy way, it's not the only way we interact with God, but when we understand who He is, His holiness, His might, His power, his, his control, when we come to an understanding of that, that He is almighty, then the things that are not almighty, which is everything else, get smaller. They get right-sized. And some of those fears go away. Secondly, we need to make peace with the fact that we might suffer. In fact, we might die. But that's okay. Right? If you know Christ, death is nothing but a transition. And we are going to die. 
<laughs> and, and what Jesus, think about this. Jesus is saying to people, don't fear being killed. Jesus knows he's about to be killed. The Pharisees are making their threats already. Jesus knows that he is going to die. And he's saying to people, you don't have to be scared about dying. Right? So the worst, I mean, it's almost as if Christ says, look, the worst they can do to you, the worst they can do to you is to kill you. You don't fear people that can only kill you. You don't have to worry about that. Now, this is, again, so contrary to the spirit of the age. But um, I, I had, during the early, I had a, a few moments of clarity early in uh, my recovery from the stroke. By day three or four, I'm in neuro ICU. I, I've been holding on to this idea that I just have the flu, and if only people would listen to me, they'd let me go home. And suddenly, I realize, you know what? Um, I'm in neuro ICU. I'm meeting with teams of doctors. Everybody's got a somber face. Uh, nobody's talking about me getting out of here. I can't sit up. I, I'm probably in worse shape than I realized. And then I thought, you know what? I might die. And when I thought that, you know, sort of for the first time, like, wow, I could be really close to dying here. Uh, the first thought I had was it made me sad. I thought, well, I don't want to die. I, I'm not ready for that. I don't want to leave Sherry. I, I want to watch the boys keep growing. And so I, there, was a, there was some sadness. And then there was this sense of, like, wow, I didn't see this coming. If I knew that I was going to die, I would have taken more risks. Why did I play it so safe with my faith? And then the third thought I had was, well, hey, <laughs> maybe I get to die. Maybe I get to be done, right? And because if I die, I don't, I don't have to worry about any of these things, right? I get to go be with God. I get to go meet Jesus, and it's better. And there was this, this sense of, there was this sense of, I don't, have to, I, I don't have to fear this. And that is so liberating, right? Once you said, look, the worst you can do to me, is kill me, and I'm good with that, then I'm, I'm, you know, there's just not a lot of fear there. So, again, Jesus is not excited about going to the cross, but, but you get him, you sort of see him saying, like, look, you don't have to fear people that can only kill you. <laughs> and trust me, I know, they're about to kill me, and I'm not excited about some of the things that are going to happen during that process, but it's good. So we become fearless when we, when we realize that we can make peace with the fact that we're going to die. And then finally, um, this whole idea of hypocrisy that comes up in this passage. I, I think we can also live with a lot less fear if we, if we simply acknowledge our brokenness and confess our sins. And if we don't live like we're better than we are. Right now, I'm not talking about confessing our sins to everybody. That's, that's inappropriate. But I'm just saying, if, when you blow the whistle on yourself, right, when you don't act like you are somebody that you're not, then nobody's got anything on you. Right? There's a great story. A friend of mine was uh, at Harvard doing some work when um, Billy Graham showed up. This was 30 years ago, maybe more. Kennedy School of Government, first time uh, Dr. Graham had, had been speaking at Harvard. And there was a lot of agitation on campus. A lot of students didn't like him. And uh, so he speaks at the, the school of, uh, Kennedy School of Government. And afterwards, there's microphones set up for a Q&A. And, and my friend said, you know, 
the, the lines were long, you know. And the first student to get to a microphone was a law student, and they said, Dr. Graham, you're a hypocrite, right? You're a fraud. You, you held segregated revivals in the South. How dare you? And Dr. Graham, who might have said, uh, you know what, I didn't go do any crusades in the South when they weren't going to let African Americans in, but I did do crusades that had separate seating. He, he might have said that. What he just said was, you're right. What I did was unconscionable, and I'm sorry, and I've apologized, and I'll apologize to you, and it was wrong. And he goes, but you know what else? That's hardly the worst thing I did. He goes, I have made so many bad decisions, so many selfish decisions. I have been a hypocrite in so many different ways. I'm ashamed of it. He goes, but you have to understand, I'm not here telling you that I'm anything other than a sinner, broken, struggling, trying to point you to the one person who isn't. Yes, I am a fraud. I'm a hypocrite. I've done so many things I'm ashamed of. But but there's forgiveness for even somebody like me, right? Once you take, and my friend said, of course, all the energy just went out of the room, right? I mean, once you, once you take that posture, right, of, you know, and, and you're willing to sort of laugh at yourself, then a whole lot of these things that you fear, <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, no, that's not even half as, I can tell you something else that I did that was even stupider than that. Right? I mean, once you, once you sort of move into that attitude of saying, yes, I'm, I'm a broken, sinful person, then a whole lot of the things that you fear that are going to be uncovered, right, you uncovered them. So you don't, have to, you don't have to live in fear. Look, there's a lot of fear out there, and uh, it, it causes a lot of problems. It keeps people up at night. It robs us of joy. It pushes us down. We need to rightly prioritize our fears. And, and that starts with a proper understanding of who God is. And then uh, we, need to, we just need to make peace with the fact that in this broken world, people can hurt us, but they can only temporarily hurt us. <laughs> right? That in the end, it all works out. And we just need to be honest about how broken we are. When we do those things, fear goes away. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you that you are greater than fear and that, uh, that a right understanding of who you are allows us to rightly order our lives and our thoughts and indeed even our fears. So we, uh, we pray to that end. Help, help those who are here today struggling, fearful, anxious. Uh, help them get a fuller understanding of who you are and the grace and the mercy that is extended through Christ and uh, to find that sense of peace. Help us to crucify our pride, rightly order our thoughts, and not live in fear of those whose the worst they can do is nothing we need to worry about. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.